0: Hey there, it's Nick Turzo, and this is The Radical Podcast. No, we won't be overthrowing any governments, but we will be learning from radical creatives who rule the world. Hey there, it's Nick Turzo, and this is The Radical. Another gentle reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review this show wherever you do listen to your podcasts. Also... To keep up on the latest and the greatest, please follow us on Instagram at The Radical Pod. My guest this week perfectly embodies the balance of artist and humanitarian. He has chalked up eight Billboard Top 20 hits, has won a couple of Grammys, and brought tons of joy to millions of fans around the globe. I'm thrilled to have Jason Mraz join me. Jason and I will mix it up, discussing topics from music to organic farming to philanthropy, and even starting his own record label. Jason's newest record, Look for the Good, encompasses all the positivity and light that we need as we collectively shove this year out the door. I've known this man a couple of decades and could not be any more proud of his remarkable accomplishments. This is a great one. Next up, my expansive conversation with Jason Mraz. Hey, Jason Mraz. Hey, Nick Turzo, how you doing? Good morning, good morning.
1: Good morning to you, it is a good morning. It's,
0: it's lovely. Uh, yeah. How is, how is uh, life on the Mraz family farm during this interesting time?
1: Uh, blessed, really blessed. You know, when, when we started homesteading, I'd say as early as 2010, you do so thinking, oh, one day we can live off the land. Or, you know, you have these little house on the prairie type of aspirations. You think they're never going to come true. You can't, you can't not go to the grocery store. But you do your best to supplement your groceries with a garden or something. And, boy, I'll tell you, when they told us to stay home and stay away from folks and wear masks, etc., Yeah, you know, we we had the same sort of panic and upset as everyone else. Um, But at the same time, I thought, I am so grateful to my younger self for choosing to come live out here on a little piece of land where I can practice uh, regenerative agriculture. and I can practice feeding myself from the earth. It's not easy to do. Um, I'm not very successful at it. Uh, But I am blessed. That is the answer. I am just so blessed that I have this little sanctuary out here, which was originally created to be a retreat between tours. I just wanted to move out here. So between tours, I could have a place to regenerate my thoughts, my energy, and uh, my music as well. Um, I don't think I ever planned to be here for long periods of time. So this year was the first year, almost going on a full year that I've been here. Um, there are weeks of this year that I had never seen before here. For example, the first week of June, I've never been on this property the first week of June after 15 <laughs> years. Uh, so when that came around, I didn't realize it until I started to notice the light was different, uh, or that I was around for the entire season of the loquat where usually I'm packing my bags as the loquats are coming on. And then I, they're, they're only a memory or I, they're only a story, a legend, uh, so this year, you know, I've, I've had the, the the blessing of experiencing the fruits of my many years of labor here.
0: And is it, um, other than providing for you um, and your family and whoever else is on the farm is support, is it a commercial venture too? I mean, do you grow enough product that you can do that?
1: Uh, of, of a few things, yes. Um, we commercially, we grow avocados and that was something that I inherited by buying the house is the the yard was planted uh, as an avocado orchard and i got into that probably about 5 years after living here i realized whoa i'm the guy responsible for the fate of these trees if i don't do anything the trees will age out they'll get very tall and leggy and stop producing fruit so i had to i had to start pruning them and feeding them and, and minding them minding them and and they Are what really brought me into the grove and kind of turned me on to the possibility of plants and soil and and creating things from that. Um, So avos were already here. Um, In my love, falling in love with the trees and and wanting to be a more ambitious farmer gardener, um, I also added coffee in between all of the avocado trees, which is another commercial crop we grow. And I did that because Avos by themselves don't really pay the bills. They don't cover your labor, and they certainly don't cover your water. And I didn't want to just rely on music my whole life to pay for my farming hobby. I wanted to see if I could join the entrepreneurial farmer sort of game and see if I couldn't figure out how to grow commercially to basically sustain my, my love of of farming.
0: Do you have additional acreage there or do you have the same acreage or have you expanded?
1: We have expanded. Yeah. And I guess that was, um, we were a little hungry. Uh, I I don't know that I'll expand anymore, but we're now up to about 17 farmed acres. Well, maybe 15, I should say 15. Um, It's, it's, you know, it's a lot Mm. and more than I ever thought uh, I would enjoy, um, no, I thought I would enjoy it more than I do. (laughs) That's the, (laughs) that's the answer. Um, but it's cause it's really hard work. I think what I've done is I've, I've, I've gone from a hobby to, we are a premium grow facility. We have the infrastructure to grow large quantities at, uh, and really deliver something that, it's beautiful. It requires nutrition. It requires farmer's footsteps. Um, It requires a lot of pruning, a lot of weeding and beneficial insects because we're all organic. So we mostly just grow grasses and weeds, but we're learning to identify them and figure out which ones are our allies and which ones are nuisance. Um, But again, all of this stuff really just came out of a, a love of the land and feeling like I wanted to work in my backyard a little bit some days I wake up and go, why did I turn my backyard into a business that, po- that could potentially bankrupt me as well? But uh, so far, so good. I, it, it, we're looking, we're looking long term here. This isn't about short term gains.
0: I thought all you fancy pop stars had swimming pools and tennis courts in your backyards.
1: You know what? I, I do have a swimming pool And um, we have a well that we installed, which is very fancy. So we have a well, which gives us the ability to drill down into the earth about 500 feet or so and access the water. Well, on on the well line, for the irrigation lines, we also hooked it up to um, a nutrition uh, system. It's called fertigation, fertilizer in the irrigation. So we're basically putting like fish emulsion and all kinds of yummy nutrient sludge in the water line. Well, the reason I'm telling you this story is because when we decided to fill our pool with well water, we filled our pool with pond scum. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we have a fish emulsion, algae rich uh, pond scum swimming pool that nobody wants to swim in. It has since been uh, remedied. It has since been remedied. But yeah, that's, that's our fancy pool for you.
0: Kind of your organic uh, koi pond, so to speak. Very,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: So as part of your entrepreneurial path, um, you've started your own record label now. Is that true? In Terabang, Is that what it's called or not? It's
1: totally in Terabang, And interrobang. Interrobang is is the word for the punctuation, exclamation point and question mark. So when you put them side by side, it makes you go, huh? Or it makes you go, I love it. What is it? Exclamation point, question mark so we had came up with a little logo of the two of them where they look like a little a music note. Um, and I wanted to create a lane for the kind of music that I love but doesn't really fit in any lane. Or I didn't want to be limited to the pop genre any longer. I'll probably always have a foot in the pop world because I just grew up on the pentatonic scale and that's who I am. Uh, but I came right out of the gates with this new album uh, record label venture with the reggae album that i partnered up with michael goldwasser of easy star i happen to be wearing the easy star hoodie today look for the good right is that that's what it's called look for the good is the new album produced by michael goldwasser of easy star and we intentionally set out to make a reggae album uh from the start it wasn't that you know we had happened to become reggae no we we started even the demos were reggae and um this was a I just and I, I wanted to do something completely different than what I'd done before, but it also still gave me access to rapping and melody and 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 um, current events and and singing about issues that I care about. Whereas in the pop lane, I tend to stay more towards the wedding songs, which is fine because I love relationship and and self love and self healing and all that type of songs. Uh, but reggae was more of an expression about we and us and and how we as a humanity can hopefully continue to uplift each other. Um, and most recently, uh, we put out a, I shouldn't even say we put out, but we put out a friend's record, Gregory Page, who was a longtime hero of mine here in San Diego. Over 20 years, I've known the guy. He gave me my first gig in San Diego. Bill Silva took me to Java Joe's. We saw an, a Songwriter Showcase. I got to participate. And Gregory Page pulled me aside and said, hey, why don't you come down next weekend and play a few songs before my show? And so technically, that was my first gig. I, have, I actually have a little sign. You can't see it, but there's a little sign on the wall right there, which is written in crayon, Gregory Page and Jason Mraz tonight at 9 o'clock, which was my first poster at Java Joe's. Um, so Gregory said, I want to put my album out on Interrobang. I said, well, that's funny because we don't really have label services yet. We're just we're just a logo at this point, you know, and we're distributed by BMG, thankfully. So really, BMG is doing the heavy lifting. Uh, but he says, no, it's okay. Can I just put your logo on my album? <laughs> I said, uh, sure. Uh, but in that process, we all just started to think about, well, what could we do? And so we're basically a new model. We're All we've done for Gregory is give him a small business loan, really, that allows him to manufacture his LPs. Uh, Because I think for artists that are coming into a studio, it's hard enough to get seen and heard, but let alone drop money on not just a recording, but the additional money on physical product, which is disappearing. People aren't buying as many CDs and certainly not as many vinyls, even though they're selling. So long story short, we gave Gregory enough money to manufacture those vinyls, and we will help him sell those. But... We're not taking a royalty and we're basically just selling enough vinyl that we get our loan back. But after that, all the product really lives in his hands. He owns the master, everything. And it was basically, I saw this opportunity with my little label to just help people out and um, without trying to own them or even capitalize on them or be an entrepreneur on somebody else's life or livelihood. But instead, let's let's just become part of the same family and just uplift each other. And Ironically, or karmically, since we put his album a week ago, we've seen sales of my own album go up, I think just from the relationship on Interrobink. So just through the act of doing good and promoting our friend, we've also seen an uptick in our, in our sales, which is really, really cool. Um, when Interrobink first launched with the reggae album, I also saw an opportunity with the surplus of the money that came from BMG. Uh, I, I had all my recording costs covered, um, and all the musicians were covered, producers covered, engineer covered, everything's great. Uh, but you still end up with an advance. It's typical that a record company will give you an advance and this is something to live on while royalties are being, I guess tallied or accumulated and you'll eventually be paid later, right? After promo perhaps, expenses. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps, perhaps. not. <laughs> well, um I I don't spend a whole lot of money at a major label. I I I was I don't think I do. We we keep our promo and our production costs really low and I don't want to ever be in debt with another company and um, but regardless they gave me a really lovely advance um, and I just didn't feel like I I felt like wow this is play money like what can I do with this advance and our album came out June 19th which is historically known as Juneteenth which is essentially the day uh, slavery was finally abolished in the last state in the U.S. and it was a huge historical day this year because the U.S. got a, uh, a history lesson, an education. I am definitely a student of the continued education of this country. Uh, so I decided I would just donate all of the surplus of this album, which sings about equality, which sings about the advancement of equality. Rather than just have a lyric, why don't I put all the money into programs and movements like, like the organization Black Lives Matter, which is pushing for pragmatic policies to protect black lives. Uh, It's it's doing way more than I probably could from sitting at home. So give them a huge chunk of money. Um, Equal justice initiative, a grassroots law, which is a phenomenal new sort of law-based startup that is um, going after criminal justice, especially criminal justice reform. um, You know, we've seen that has been one of the biggest illnesses of the U.S. Um, coming coming into the light um, is the police brutality and and how black people are disproportionately treated worse. You know what I'm saying? Um, in this in this world, uh, some local organizations also benefited from that surplus: um, Center for Policy Initiative, Rise San Diego, and San Diego Young Artists Music Academy. So, six organizations right off the bat received. Um, Five-digit, uh, very very substantial five-digit donations from from the advance of the record, and and it was no loss to me. So I, I look at interabang as a new model for how can I make cool music that's outside of the box, and then also do good with it. So we get to explore that going forward. Good,
0: huge props to you, Matt. just cool. Yeah, you were such an amazing human to do that. Oh, I shucks. love. No, and the model is fantastic you know it's kind of an incubation model without any of the predatory parts of it which is nice you know so yeah. it's going to be so fantastic for other artists i mean what you did for these groups during this year so amazing
1: yeah thanks kudos yeah, to, how it plays to you out going forward thank you very much thank you oh. it's, it's it's very exciting and we're making it up as we go you know we have a vision we have a mission and, and that sort of thing but you know the world is changing Every day, dramatically. So, and and I believe that in the future, more and more companies will be valued not so much on their sort of stock value, but also in how are they helping to take care of the planet, whether that's environmentally or or uh, amongst humans. Um, how what are you doing as a corporation or as a big company or as a winner? What are you doing to help? Others and I think I think we really will be judged on that in in the not too distant future.
0: Well, I think both by employees and by consumers. You know, it's for sure, definitely become a part of any buying or decision or where you're going to work decision. Exactly. So when did you um, did you record this prior to COVID, where you were able to all yeah in a room together?
1: We sure were. We recorded October of 2019 um, in in this studio. I have a larger room just next door here, and then this space as well. Um, it. It was the first time I made an album here from top to bottom. I've workshop songs here since 2007. I've done a few tracks that got released here, but never a full album. So, and we did make this album prior to having any type of deal with any, any distributor. So we didn't know what we were doing or where this was going to go. So with that came all this freedom and joy of just making music in the backyard. And Michael helped me put together a phenomenal band Uh, There was about 13 of us in the band that included some people that I knew, some people that he knew that made this really beautiful, eclectic group of people who also knew the pocket and intricacies of reggae, Um, which is a lot harder than it sounds. It's, It's a tricky, tricky music to play. It's like slow motion funk. There's a lot of air. There's a lot of pocket in it.
0: You've always had a little bit of that kind of underlying... Your music, haven't you, in certain, I mean, from the beginning, I thought you've always seemed to have that flavor there, let's say.
1: I, I I, guess so. I didn't really know it until I was touring and I would have, you know, a rhythm section that could help me, you know, bring the obvious of reggae forward, which would be in the rhythm but prior to that, I'm just kind of a coffee shop or campfire singer, songwriter. And with that, I'm banging on the guitar in maybe a primal or rootsy way that would allow my music to go to reggae should we should we pair ourselves with some musicians that, that also speak that language. Um, but it has also worked for me to drift off in other directions too. So I feel... I I feel like a great song could be dressed up in any genre. It really could. If if the s if the bones are good, if the if the heart of the song is pure, then it could be dressed up in any style and it would still work. For sure.
0: Um and you end it with gratitude, which is a very personal song. Um I think that's where it would go in a sequence on the record. <laughs> it makes sense that it's the last song and it's it's really beautiful and it's um very transparent on your part. Um, it's a fantastic song.
1: Thanks. Thanks. You know? I, I got introduced to gratitude as a practice around 2008. And I've been trying to weave it. In. Anytime I learn a lesson that I think is valuable to at least how I perceive life or experience life, I try to weave that into songs thinking this could be medicine or at least it's going to be medicine for me every time I sing it. I'm going to get the reminder of this life lesson. And practice, practicing gratitude is just that, um, you know, to wake up and, and maybe even say out loud, I am grateful for this human life, this precious life, and I'm not going to waste it today. You know, saying it out loud is different than just thinking it because we inter- internally I have a dozen thoughts happening at the same time, which one is going to be the loudest, right? But if I say it out loud, it almost commands it. It brings that thought forward. And so a practice of gratitude is really trying to presence what I'm grateful for. And when that happens, you get to experience abundance. You get to experience the abundance of love in your life, um, the abundance of of support and shelter and whatever that looks like to you, right? Um, So weaving that into a song, and I thought... To really practice gratitude, I need to also forgive my enemies and I have to thank them even for the experiences that were not so great, but helped shape who I am. So that, that gratitude was, in a way, it was about a 10-year work in progress trying to figure out how am I going to address this song and, and, and mean it. Um, and when this album came up, when we started workshopping these songs here in the studio, it it clicked but i always left the ending open to improv so the whole time we were tracking i was doing it different every time and i was i was just going off until ultimately i'd done enough that i kind of was able to see which ones i thought were important to me um parents getting divorced which is not an, a likely thing to be grateful for um but also trying to keep it lighthearted and silly, like the cats that trip me up every day walking around here. Um, yeah, so gratitude, thanks for mentioning that. It's, it's a unique song, um, but it does close look for the good. And I think a practice of gratitude helps us look for the good. When, when someone says, what are you grateful for? Well, the first thing you look for is something that you like, right? Right. <laughs> oh, well, let's look for something good. <laughs> so I'm grateful for you, Nick Turzo. It's wow. nice to have this conversation. Well, and I'm back at you. I'm
0: grateful. And this has been a, too long a gap um, for us. But, um, and I wish I had gotten to this record in the summer, you know, because it's such a great summer record. You know, when yeah. I, kinda, I started listening to it like back in like September, it's like uh-huh. I think I missed this record was so perfect for the summer and so upbeat. Mm. It's lovely.
1: Great. Yeah. Side effect of uh, this project was that every song was you can dance to it. Um, didn't anticipate that. Uh, I just, I wasn't even thinking dance. I was just thinking reggae. I love the reggae grooves. But, uh, you know, for years, years and years going through Electra and Atlantic, a common comment from A&R was we got to have some little more up-tempo. You know, we got to, let's, let's have a, can we pick it up a little bit? Let's get us dancing. And that was a struggle for me on many albums. And then here comes this album in the backyard that I'm not, that i have no plan for in every song you can dance to like how did that happen it was like maybe just finally took took the ceiling away or the pressure off and the the result is i'm free i'm dancing and how about that but you know what next summer you can listen to the album next summer when it rolls around
0: it's evergreen i i it will be there it is it will be it there how did your um kind of collaboration with like Tiffany Haddish come about for You Do You?
1: Uh I met her through a friend and I I have been spending a few weeks trying to figure out who I could get to like add their voice to You Do You. Um the part was was written by um Abby Dorsey also known as MC Flow who uh, for fans, MC Flow and her band are the gang vocals are the choir vocals on "I'm Yours." So that dates all the way back to 2007, and we recorded those vocals here. I've known Abby a really long time since the since the coffee shop days. Uh, she's a great writer, but she and I think she's a great artist. But she doesn't always want to be in the front. She's like, "I'm not trying to be an artist, but I'd love to be a writer and help other writers out." So. When we got to this part, I had had her vocal on, on the track for a very long time, but we knew we thought we should uh, find some somebody out there who is public facing that might resonate with these words and throw down. And when I met Tiffany and asked her if she would be interested, she she didn't even think twice. She just said yes. And I thought, oh, okay, that was a nice yes. You know, that was the kind of yes you say so you don't have to say no. But then you never hear from that person again. Yes. Uh, but yes, then she that, yes. called. <laughs> yeah. But then she called and was like, "Let's do this." And uh, we even gave her the freedom, like you write, you can write whatever you want. We can mix this up and change it. And so we were in the studio about two days later, and she came in and just said, "You know what? All these words are what I would want to say." And she she changed a little bit just to be to give it her own you know to make it truly her words uh but it was it was just in the aligning of two like minds that wanted to do something cool which um which is what i'm trying to say is me with this song and i saw tiffany as as this really cool and outgoing person um who also wanted to get down we we share of uh a photographer friend. We share a friend who happens to be a photographer who shoots for us both, um, who, who, who introduced us. And just, I don't know what to say about Tiffany. I feel like we're very, very similar. Um, we come from small towns, care about where we came from, um, excited to be doing crazy new things that make us as artists feel alive and pushing ourselves, but still with our feet on the ground and hope that everything we're doing is part of a of a of a web that's doing good in the world you know not not trying to participate in in negative type of things and so i think i think our project just resonated with the kind of work that she's doing
0: that's oh, perfect casting for that song yeah You've done good it's
1: perfect thanks
0: so perfect and then you also released uh, just prior i think to the election uh, bad wolves is that with yeah. Jade. And that's wow, a really, find. that's an interesting song, man. That's a really interesting song. Did you, Yeah, I didn't check any credits on it or anything. So I'm a little naive here. Did you write that or co-write a little that? bit,
1: a little bit? Yeah. I co-wrote that. Um, that really started out with uh, an artist named Veronica May, who's currently based in Colorado and she's a brilliant artist, amazing musician, a great songwriter. And, and recording artists, and she reached out um, basically in 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 the thick of everything we were seeing this summer on the news. Uh, she said, "I I have to create something that is my expression for this." And we as artists, I think, look at looked at this year as how can we make a music version of. Uh, a musical version of a of a protest song or or a sign you would take to a protest, right? The the beauty of a of a protest are all of these expressions, all of these brilliant signs and powerful statements, um, and this statement too of just coming together and en masse and showing up that we are in dis- we disapprove of this. So same thing, we decided to create a song that would do that, that would bring a lot of different artists together and all lend their voice to this one song that Veronica had started. So each artist that's in the track wrote a lot of what they they performed. Uh, Mickey Vale, uh, Rebecca Jade, and Veronica May, uh, all phenomenal artists. And then um, Ebony, of course, did the video, and the video was phenomenal. And even more phenomenal, she shot the whole thing in about two hours, and it looks like it took, it looks like it took a whole weekend but she's such a visionary and knows how to shoot from the hip and be organized. Um, uh, I, I, it's, worth, it's worth looking up because it, it reflects on what we see a lot this year on the news, but it's done through dance and through song to just hopefully continue to break our hearts open so we can be more compassionate and have more empathy so that we can continue to help change the world for the better and heal the world for all of our wrongs that we've committed in the past. So Bad Wolves is a song that, that really looks at that in hopes of shining a light on some shadows. Yeah, it's
0: remarkably almost otherworldly. Um, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I don't dissect songs here too much. It's just otherworldly in its feel and its sound, and it always feels, I don't know, it just takes me back somewhere. Like, Early in
1: the century, you know, and I, it wow. goes somewhere
0: else for me. So I was really
1: taken by it. So beautiful. Thank you. It was produced by Jeff Berkeley, who actually runs my studio here five days a week. He has his own sound, Berkeley Sound. He engineered the reggae album as well. He's a phenomenal singer songwriter, uh, great engineer all around, great producer all around. Mm. Shout out to Jeff. Quite a team. You've done good, son. You know, um, I lucked out. Because I'm not out there looking for it, but I just keep my heart open and keep my ears open. People come to me and I get a lot of ideas thrown at me, a lot of invitations, and I'm grateful for that. And I do try to be very, very, very selective because otherwise I would just be busy all the time. I'd like to say quite a team, but, you know, Jeff had his own studio, Robbie Robinson had his own studio, and both of these guys called me up about two years ago and they're like, hey, studios aren't what they used to be. We have a bunch of gear. Do you want it? I was like, no, nah, man, I don't need any more gear. They're like, come on, let us store our gear at your place. <laughs> Crap. That's a I good one. I didn't see it, right? But they're like, uh, we have this beautiful Neve console, you know, and we'll just, you can use it. I was like, I don't need it, man. I gotta, I'm set. So they're like, well, come on, let us put it over there. So finally, I, they talked me into it. And it's been so great because what ended up happening is they didn't just store their gear over here. They set up shop over here. Um, and it's been fantastic. So because I live out in the, on the fringe of San Diego, uh, almost five days a week, San Diego artists come to our studio and they record here with Jeff. So it still keeps me connected to the San Diego music scene, the same coffee shop scene, which has essentially been closed thanks to COVID. Um, but thanks to Jeff and Robbie who who run the studio here, I'm meeting all kinds of artists and staying connected with with old friends as well at the same time. And... When it came time to record the reggae album, the room was already dialed in. Jeff already had everything just clean and warm. So when we showed up to play, it was it was really easy. And I would not have been able to do that if I had rejected their invitation to take all the studio gear. If I had said, no, I'm fine here, I would have had to outsource uh, a place to handle all 13 of my band or at least bring in an engineer and figure the room out. But When you have a full-time engineer here, uh, those sort of things get, get sorted out. So it's, and it's, it's family, you know, there's, there isn't, we're just sharing a space. It's as easy as that. And I, and I'm so grateful that I did it. Right.
0: So there's something I wanted to ask you because when I was around you on a more regular basis, um, you know, I was always kind of blown away and impressed by your work ethic. Um, and I've never seriously. No, I've never very seldom that I ever see you say no to anything. And you, oh gosh, no, stop. And you, you during that period of time, <laughs> it, before I'm yours, um, uh-huh. you were a really hard worker, and it, you know, whether it was presenting yourself publicly, uh, doing press, you know, having to work with a band and tour with a band that's, you know, kind of a hired band, not necessarily you formed a band. Um, as you've gotten older, it's a long question. How have you adjusted your life with balance in it? Because I really thought then you kind of were a bit on tilt with what was asked of you. Um, and how have you gotten yourself into some balance, even though having a farm, a music career, you know, all your charity work and service work?
1: How do you balance it? Mm, I'm still learning. I really am. Um... I think that the easiest way to balance it is I have a short yoga routine that I do in the morning, and that alone gives me a foundation to build my day on, right? I feel like if I don't do it, the foundation could be wobbly, and any type of yes or any type of project that I have committed is, is going to get some kind of rushed or unbalanced treatment or something. Whereas if I build myself up in the morning with the right attitude and the right framework in my mind, then any conversation and any new request that comes in, I won't be overwhelmed by it because i'll be I'll be solid on that. So that is my first uh, piece of of having balance, I guess what you've just asked. Um, and I found that probably around two thousand six, two thousand seven after getting burnt out around 2005 and six um burnout because doing enough interviews and two albums back to back I I didn't all I was talking about was like hotel travel and and gigging and it didn't I didn't feel like I related to anyone so I came home really for the first time and and spent many months just doing my laundry and grocery shopping and and discovering yoga, really. It had been introduced to me, but I didn't go deeper into it until then. Um, and I've tried to maintain that since then. and i've i I have to credit that for having even more success after that, um, because life did get busier around two thousand and eight, and maintaining some kind of mindful practice has allowed me to just take all that in. And at the same time, have, have a kind of non-attachment to it where it could all go away, and that's fine as well because, gosh, I love a day off. Um, I made a huge mistake or maybe a great, great mistake. Um, about three years ago, I left my management firm. I left Bill Silva Management, um, mainly because I thought, okay, I'm turning 40, I've done it. I've fulfilled all my records with the major. I don't need any new contracts. I'm probably just going to be a farmer. I'm just going to shut down for a while. And that included everything, including leaving my management firm. And I don't know what happened, but I probably shut down for about six weeks and thought, I can't sit still. I can't just really be a farmer. That's not really sustainable. And I have all this music in me and I just continue to, to generate and generate. And then next thing you know, I'm learning how to self-manage. But I'm, I've been lucky enough to be able to do it on uh, kind of coasting still on the fumes of great management for 18 years. Uh, so Bill Silva basically set me up for success very, very early, introduced me to the, the mindfulness and, and, and a spiritual way of living, um, one that is kind to oneself and to others. Um, so if you put that into your entrepreneurial uh, ambitions, then you won't get beat down or beat up by the competition, uh, I think, as much. So if I didn't have my yoga practice, if I didn't have gratitude, the competition of the industry would probably turn me into a bitter, uh, resentful person. Um, so I've been learning to self-manage, but you know I use Bill Silva and and everything from 18 years as a model for, for what to do. And then I'm, I'm, I have an amazing team, still tour manager. I still have my lawyer. I still have a communications person handling my socials and, um, merch manager. I still have a great team that I would typically tour with. Um, and the idea was that we would still do shows from time to time. Um, didn't, didn't anticipate signing a new record deal with BMG. Um, didn't anticipate COVID happening, and staying home for a year, and like I didn't anticipate anything. So, like I said at the beginning of this conversation, I'm st- we're just making it up, and I don't always have the balance to self manage and run the farm and the music industry and keep track of the foundation. Uh, I don't always have it, but I do employ a lot of like minded people on my team. I'd say there's at least fifteen of us that that work combined in music, farm, and foundation. And we've all co-authored a vision and a mission together. So even if I'm not checking in daily, I know that the people I work with have the same goal and we're all going the same direction. Um, so in a way, I get to delegate and, and see others really uplifted through this experience, which is really nice. And scaling back, you know, any kind of a global touring
0: cycle, it's had to be healthy for you. I mean, that's that's yes, definitely pounds on you.
1: It does. I you know part of getting out of a management deal and beginning of a major label deal is I did want to scale back. Uh, you know, I look at my my favorite band that I modeled since high school was Dave Dave Matthews Band because he was a local band, and a lot of his touring was on this continent. He, he rarely did other parts of the globe. It took a while for them to get there, but on, in my story, Bill Silva had me all over the globe very, very early, and I'm so grateful for that because we do get to service the whole globe when we put an album out. Uh, but being on airplanes and having my feet on the ground in 25, 30 different countries... Uh, is challenging, really challenging to do. So I did want to scale back and think of myself as more of a local artist. And uh, I didn't know if I'd be able to pull it off, but this year we're forced to pull it off. You know, I don't even know if we'll be able to go overseas next year. Um, So in a way, the universe is kind of gifting me what I had had hoped, is that's to learn how to stay put and uh, maybe just tour... You know, domestically.
0: Let me follow on to that. Is there a country where you're just totally surprised at your success there? Is there one that just says, "You know, my head's going to explode."
1: That country. You know, there there's a few places in Asia, in Southeast Asia, where the for some reason the music just it connects. It connects in the Philippines. It connects in Indonesia. it Connects in Mal- Malaysia and Singapore. And I don't know why. Um, I. Don't reference anything geographically um, in the songs. I all I can think of is I went to those regions on my first album when I was unknown, and I played in small venues and i and I shared random venues with other established artists. And I think making that effort um, to be present in that region made a lasting impact as, as I continued to put albums out, fans grew and grew until ultimately I'm Yours hit that everyone was like, oh yeah, we know this guy. He, he comes around here a couple times a year as it is. Um, so I think just making that effort to show up um, made the biggest impact. But I'm surprised by it because if anyone's ever gone to that part of the world, it, it can be very, very different. Um, or at least, I shouldn't say different. It's just... Um, you know culturally it's different um in maybe dense population at least certainly in the big cities of of jakarta and manila wow um densely densely populated so you would think how does one be seen or heard in in such a place like this but so grateful that my music has cut through
0: that's awesome and you know speaking of kind of staying on the continent or in your country um do you see more broadway stuff down the road i mean to that did that did you love doing waitress when you did it? I mean, was this? I loved it. Yeah,
1: I loved it. Oh yes, I would do it again, uh, but it would have to be the right show. I don't want to just go and do any old show. Um, waitress was a perfect show because it was already a hit thanks to Sarah and Jesse Nelson, uh, Sarah Bareilles who wrote the music, um, but and Doctor Pommer who I played only shows up a few times, but he does. He is vital to the story moving along, and he's funny, he's clumsy, and he's kind of behaving badly. And I love all of those things. So I got to do this basically four month vacation where I would be paid to go play someone else. It felt like doing Saturday Night Live eight times a week, walking into that theater and putting on the costume and going out on stage and making people laugh or help helping them bring tears forward with with these touching songs. Eight times a week was just Awesome, and then the rest of my time off was go do yoga or go to the gym or go take care of yourself because you have a big gig coming up in eighteen hours. you know it's it was I just loved it. I thought I was going to hate it I thought i didn't I thought, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be doing the same exact thing every day. this is going to be terrible, but it felt different every time every single show felt completely different, and that was a little bit having to do with the cast would would shift you know the the lead would go to an understudy and then Different cast members in the back would, would change positions even, and um, other supporting characters would also be, be changed, the actors would change. So there was always something new happening, which was blowing my mind. Even the band would, would change around from time to time. Uh, and with that came different delivery, a different attitude. And even how the audience was choosing to react to us or not would affect the show. And, uh, but as long as we leaned on the writing, it was always a great show. Um, and I was just so impressed with that and with that feeling of that, that constant newness or that regeneration that was happening at that level that, uh, it made me, it makes me want to go back and do it again, for sure.
0: Did you do it for three or four months? How long was your run?
1: Yeah, uh, about three and a half months. So I got to live in New York for four months, like almost perfectly four months, which was awesome because I, I lived there when I was 18 going to college. And I left there broke thinking I'll come back to New York when New York wants to be back. And of course I went back and played gigs and, you know, I did all the promo stuff and meetings there for years, but I never lived there again until I was 40. And I got to go back because New York called and said, we want you to come back and do this thing. And it was just, it was just a thrill dream come true.
0: You've had a lot of those, um, which is fantastic. I mean,
1: As you've toured the world and
0: you've met everything from presidents on down, um, has there been any one person in particular that you thought, you know, I'll never meet this person in my whole life and that you did?
1: Hmm. Um, uh, Gosh, there are many. There are many. Um, Willie Nelson, James Taylor, um, Neil Young. James Taylor and Willie were definitely a lot more, uh, approachable and, and conversationalists than, than, Neil. Um, I mean, but the list goes on and on with, with icons that I would just usually be speechless or gobsmacked in front of, um, with, with James, I met him many times, James Taylor backstage, uh, I saw, I don't know, oh, he walked by, first time I ever made him, and I said, he was shaking a lot of hands, and I just leaned over and I was like, you know, Money Machine is one of my favorite songs ever, and he he did a little double take, and he leaned came back to me, and he started describing to me how they recorded that song about dumping in a bunch of change and had to make these loops, which was hard to do on tape, and um, I felt really great, you know, everyone around me is kind of giving me credit for like, hey, I've managed to start a conversation here. We started sh- talking about our tattoos and things were going really well. And then a couple of weeks later, we're at the Music Cares event honoring Neil Young. I'm backstage, I'm singing with Sean Colvin and James Taylor's backstage. He's warming up and he says to us, hey, why don't you guys come over here and sing harmony with me? So now I'm singing a Neil Young song with James Taylor and Sean Colvin. And by the time we go on stage, he's also recruited Lou Harris and Dave Matthews. So now we're a super group singing harmony for James Taylor. And this is just beyond my wildest dreams. And at the end of the night, I said, James, thank you so very much. This was just a thrill. And he says, he says, "Um, my pleasure, Jacob, and walked off. And I was like, oh, that is awesome. That's awesome. Because it's a great story. (laughs) It sucked because I wanted him to remember my name. (laughs) Uh, But it sucked as well. It's all,
0: it's all good, Jacob. It's all good.
1: It's um, all good. Yeah. So before I cut you loose here, I always
0: ask some people, like, what great are you currently listening to? You went through a few things as we had this discussion, but I was wondering if there were a couple of things right now that you're in love with musically by others.
1: Yeah, by others. Well, I have to mention Gregory Page, his new album, One Hell of a Memory. Uh, but Gregory has probably recorded 20 albums since I've known him. Always independent always puts them out himself, or with the help of V2 in the Netherlands, but very, very small distribution. But his songs and his compositions are so beautiful. And I think his new album is, is timely. It's Irish-inspired it's Irish, uh, in, Americana. It's, it, does that even work? How does that work? I don't know. Um, but it's modern folk, and it's, it's great. So I, I, I highly recommend that. And I'm all over it, so I love the sound of my voice. Um, what else? I'm, I'm looking at my record collection to try to catch my memory of what have I, what greats have I been listening to.
0: I stump people with this a lot because it feels like with streaming, we're, we're kind of all drinking I'm from all, a fire hose anyway, so it's really hard yes. to pinpoint a few things.
1: Yes. Well, if I go into Recently Played, Mm. I I then have to be very transparent. Um, scenery, which is the Instrumentals Collection by Emily King, is phenomenal. I think Emily King will be a household name one day. Um, think Prince, uh, when you think Emily King. She's just so stylish and beautiful. And there's a punctuation happening in her songs, but the instrumentals version is as cool. And I love a lot of instrumental music uh, because when I wake up in the morning and I'm doing some yoga or or when I'm writing in my journal, I mostly want instrumentals. I don't necessarily want other lyricists getting in my way. Um, this uh, dummy, Portishead dummy. I took that for a stroll the other night. I just love those Bass, heavy organs, keyboards, um, and I listen to a lot of gospel music. Um, Hezekiah Walker, uh, Kirk Franklin, uh, Aretha Franklin, um, uh, Pastor T L Barrett. Uh, there's I'm not I'm not even a Christian guy. I mean, I grew up with that sort of being the culture of our region, but I don't have a path to heaven through a personal savior, Uh, but gospel music does something that tickles my fancy and makes me experience heaven on earth. So I listen to a lot of gospel music.
0: That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm.
1: So um, I'm going to wrap up
0: here. Um, Having known you for a couple of decades, I just got to say, I'm so proud of you as a uh, artist what you've become as a songwriter, what you've become is um, a humanitarian, even on top of those, um, just beyond uh, anything uh, I don't know. you've just turned out so well and uh, you form so well and you've grown so well and you've been self-aware in how you look at others. Um, you've turned into this you were an incredible human being back then, but you've uh, you've morphed into an even bigger godhead human being so
1: oh my gosh thanks nick you know. well i'm not final i could screw all of this up next week i'll try not to yeah, let's uh, not
0: not I after can't. the year we had can you please not do that
1: yeah i'll try not to. i don't need to read about that on like december 31st no, just when i think no. i'm
0: done with this year being terrible
1: oh, no if i do screw it up i i don't plan to make it public <laughs> thank you <laughs> we
0: appreciate that Well, I I can't thank you enough. I miss you. Um, You're always welcome back here. I love hearing what you're working on. I love your attitude and how you approach things, and the positivity needs to be heard in the current environment. So, thank you. Thanks,
1: brother. Thanks for giving me a chance to just
0: talk about all this stuff. That's what's special. That's what's great about podcasting. It's long form, man. It's long form. Yeah. So, yeah. um, Anyway, thank you very much, my friend. I miss you. Stay healthy. And uh, thank I you, hope, Nick. hope to chat and see you soon.
1: I'm going to have to start a podcast so I can ask you questions. I feel like all I learned today was um, about me. I'm not sh- I don't know if I'll show What's up your- as a guest, but okay. <laughs> so this is, uh, it's, is it called The Radical it's something? It's called The Radical. It's called The Getting Radical Red? Podcast. Yes. Yes. Cool. I it love that word. built
0: for, you know, the dual meaning of the word. Uh, I think creative people like yourself are somewhat radical, and I think ideas and things can be very radical. Um, it's certainly not meant in the political sense of the word.
1: Thanks for being radical and, and seeking out to amplify those doing radical things.
0: Well, that's our show this week. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe even learned a little something. To follow what's going on with this podcast, you can go to the Radical Pod. Dot com um, The radicalpod.com. You'll find show notes and past episodes and uh, even a little swag there if you want a t-shirt or a hat. Also, I would be honored if you'd subscribe at Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Till next week.